uh, it was, I think it was three years ago in July, I kind of felt like the Lord say, I, I need to introduce our church to the people that I work with outside of our church and kind of get you uh, reconnected to, um, to just our denomination. While I don't talk a lot about our denomination, I'm very highly accountable and submitted to it and engaged with it. And it was such a big hit that first year that I wouldn't speak for a month that we've continued to do that, I think, now for the third or the fourth month. Well, this year I thought, well, we haven't done this for a while. Let's have all of our former staff members come back uh, that have served here and served many of you at Creekside. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the month of July. I'm going to be here for most of them because I want to introduce them and uh, be a part of just getting to you know, see them and hear them and what God's doing in their lives. And uh, next year, next week, my boss will be here, Gary Emery, who many of you know. He's just a wonderful, sweet man, and, uh, but he'll be here to speak. But today, uh, we get to have a, a staff member come back, uh, Pastor Christopher, who come to Christ through our youth camp, and then uh, he was part of our church at that time, and felt the summons to go to, to Bible college, to go into ministry. And uh, I want to introduce, introduce him and his wife, because his wife, Brittany, grew up in this church, basically, and uh, spent her dad, Pastor Steve, who will be speaking here in three weeks, he uh, was on staff here for 12 years before he assumed the lead position over at our Bay Point sister church. But would, would you, in case anybody forgot about you or don't, don't know you, this is Brittany and uh, Pastor Christopher. <clears throat> Thanks, you guys. And then his mom and dad, Marianne and Mark, are here. Would you guys stand up and welcome our friends? And it's good to see them. Chris went to New Hope. He graduated, returned with the understanding that he was going to lead our youth for three years and then go plant a church. And he did that, did a great job. Him and Brittany did a great job in leading our youth. And then we sent them out to Oakland. And he'll share some of that story with you this morning. Um, he's now working with a church. I got to meet the pastor, a wonderful man of God and a wonderful church. And sometimes some of you have said, well, how do you feel about him working with another church in Oakland? And I go, I applaud it. I was just talking to somebody at a meeting I had this last week. And I told them, we were talking about some different things. And I said, I don't own anybody here. I have a responsibility that's really threefold, to lead you, to feed you, and to protect you. That's my job. But I don't own you. And when Pastor Christopher left and Brittany left, I don't own them. They're part of the kingdom of God. And what I want to see is the kingdom expand and be enlarged. And, um, and that's what they're doing, is they have this heart for Oakland, and we're so thrilled that they're willing to to pay the price for that. As you'll hear their story, they don't do it for money. And that's a big, big step for people in ministry. You know, it, uh, uh, there comes a point where you might make something, but um, they don't do it for money. And that's what I love to see in someone, is that they're willing to pay the price. Um, I had the privilege of meeting with Pastor Christopher probably, I don't know, four, five, six weeks ago. And there's always, you know... It's always so cool to be able to listen to a young person that you see is maturing. Not that they were immature, but that they were they're maturing. And he came and just uh, the, the conversation was just intimate enough that I won't share it with you. But I got to sit back and as he was sharing some things, I got to go, wow. 
What a joy to see Jesus at work in his personal growth and maturity in terms of a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this couple. I'm really proud of them, and uh, you're going to love them today. And uh, so I want to invite Pastor Christopher to come up. Oh, hold on here. I forgot to say this first service, and I want to tell them I forgot to bring it up, but I have your open Bible license for you that uh, Pastor Jim gave me about, I don't know, seven months ago. So don't leave today without getting it. Yikes. He's, he's licensed, okay? So there you go. I didn't know I still was. Um, surprised they trust me with that thing. Well, uh, it's good to be back. It's been two and a half years, and so um, it's been a while, and some of you guys recognize me. Some of you are like, who's, who's this skinny punk up here talking? And... Um, I'll get to that, um, but it's just good to be back, and I share this first service, and I mean it, and I want to share it again. Um, I'm just grateful for this church, you guys' support, family, um, the prayers, the money, the time, the emails, the kind words. When we see you guys, when we come back to Martinez, the encouraging um, just conversations, uh, it's kept us going, and um, really um, mostly just thankful for Pastor Terry's leadership in my life um, and the influence he's had on me coming to Jesus and growing up. Um, I really mean this. I've had a lot of people that I look up to um, in ministry that have, uh, have had huge churches, bigger than Creekside, more influence, different campuses. I would listen to their sermons all the time. And um, what's interesting is uh, a lot of those guys, thousands of people following them, they have failed morally and they're not pastoring anymore. Um, a lot of them, big names. I mean, you would probably know some, and it's public, but thousands of people, 17 campuses. One of the pastors I got to uh, meet and talk to a couple months ago, he had a church, uh, 17 campuses, about 50,000 people. 50,000 people in all different campuses. He's not doing it anymore because he failed morally and failed from sin issues. And so I, I, just, I bring that up now as a downer, but to say uh, you have a man here who is pastoring you for 25 plus years, that's very rare. And second, he hasn't um, been run out from you guys, so kudos, even though he probably wants to run out. But also, also, he hasn't failed at a point morally where he's had to disqualify himself. Um, has he failed? Yes. I'll be the first one to tell you he's a sinner. And he'll probably be the first one to tell you I'm a sinner. I'm not getting paid anymore from here so I can say those things. Um, I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, and if you guys don't think you're sinners, you'll probably find out soon enough you will be and you are. But... But that's, that's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. Uh, but he owns his stuff. He's working through it. He's repentive. Um, and he's humble. Uh, and I just, this means a lot to me because that's, that's rare. And so for someone I can look up to who's been here for 25 years serving faithfully, um, you have a gem. So just know that. Be thankful. Um, support him. Uh, and lighten the load for you guys as you guys do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm a... Uh, I'm excited to get into this, so uh, what I'm going to do is share with you a little bit of my story, because you've probably seen bits and pieces on Facebook, um, videos, blogs, people, and so right now you probably have 20 versions of what we're doing and what we have done, and it's okay, because hopefully I'll make it down to one version, um, the true version, uh, not a reality TV version of it, but the real stuff, um, and so I'll tell you that, but really, I really wanted to do, because I love the Bible, and I think it's more powerful than what anything I have to say today, uh, we're going to get into a promise um, from Romans that really has grounded me these last two and a half years. I haven't always lived by it. I haven't always memorized it and remembered it, uh, but it has been something that I've gotten, gone back to um, in times. 
uh, this last couple of years. And so what we do with the church I'm pastoring at now, the Movement Church in Oakland, um, is we uh, not only preach like this without any notes, but we do it in a way where there's questions in the beginning so that we can um, come in and, and meet you where you're at, hopefully answering a question you have. And so what I don't want to do is assume, so I don't know many of you, you're new here, and even if I do know you, I don't want to assume that you are excited about what I'm going to talk about. I don't want to assume that you're just super passionate and you've been studying all week too and you're just coming in like more excited than I am. Most of you guys are just excited about ice cream after service and lunch. Um, don't, don't lie. And uh, that's fine. That's fine. Some of you guys are thinking about other things going on. That's, I get that. I get that. And so what I want you to do is meet you where you're at, hopefully answer a question that you have. And so the question I have today to answer uh, is what do we need to know about God when life doesn't go our way? What do we need to know about God when life doesn't go our way? I'm assuming two things when I ask that. I'm assuming, one, there's something you need to know about God in this specific circumstance, situation. But two, life isn't always going to go your way. Right. If you haven't found that out, you probably will soon. But life is not going to go the way your five-year plan looks like. Life isn't going to go the way you thought. The kids aren't going to grow up the way you thought they were always. The, 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 the church experience isn't always going to be the blissful church experience. The marriage isn't going to be the blissful marriage experience. Like, it's not going to go the way you thought it would, the ideals you have. And so because I know that's a true factor in life, you need to know something about God in order to stay sane for most of the time. That's most of the time I'm sane. Um, and also to have joy and peace and rest, which I'll get to. So the last two and a half years, got sent out here, going to Oakland from here with money and a team, and we, we took the Moorheads along with us, the Moorhead family, Jeremy, Savannah, um, and then my buddy Christian and my wife have packed up and kind of left, and a few of us lived in a small apartment in Oakland. Uh, majority of them couldn't make it out there in the beginning because it's just expensive and hard to find a place. It took us six months to find a place, and we got in with Creekside's help with your guys' giving, and it's been a blessing. Uh, but it's expensive out there. And so we go out there. We found a place. God gets us in. We start meeting weekly. Um, we're gathering with our neighbors. We're working in Oakland, regular jobs. I'm not a full-time minister getting money from the church. We're working at Trader Joe's. We're working um, at Whole Foods. We're working at Rock Gyms just to really get involved in Oakland. Because if you didn't know, Oakland's a little bit different than Martinez. Uh, different people. Um, not everyone is as white as I am, if you didn't know that. Don't be offended. This is reality. Um, I love it. Uh, but I, I kind of stand out. Um, it's different, bigger, more diverse. And this past uh, couple months, it came out as the most unchurched city in America. So there's definitely a need there. So we, of course, ran into opposition, but we were excited and young and passionate. So we started getting our, no uh, our neighbors over for, dinner, for breakfast once a month cook them a huge meal, share the gospel with them, serve them, and we're still friends to this day, even though we don't live there with them. They still invite us over for parties, and it's great. It's the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life, um, best Ethiopian food. I mean, it's just crazy uh, the, the amount of hospitality they've shown, but they've become family. So we were just family with them, serving the people around us, just trying to start the church from ground zero with a few people, sharing Jesus and serving people. And so we started also a coffee company. If you guys didn't know, we have a coffee company, and um, that was just a way for, for us to get into Oakland. People loved coffee. If you don't love coffee, you probably repent, but it's, uh, it's a good thing to love. Um, Slowjoy.com. And uh, just joking. I'm just joking, but I believe in my product. So um, 
So we started it to make some money, but also to get into Oakland because it's a brand new business. I didn't have uh, loans and funding. We just started it because we wanted to serve Oakland. And we knew that um, being a church front wasn't the best way to get people into the gospel. And so being a coffee business was. So that started taking off and, and growing. We got into a market, and uh, we started actually having a coffee shop. It was weird because I just kind of started the company on accident. And it grew and um, got into a coffee shop in the back of a market um, in Oakland, started selling coffee, making cups, interacting, sharing Jesus with our customers daily, having our customers over for dinner, um, getting to pray for them, just doing stuff. Where God was working in a way where he wasn't really working in the church plant venue as much as really we just wanted to be missionaries in Oakland. And we knew people weren't going to come to us, so we had to go to them with the gospel. Well, fast forward a little bit. It was a little bit of a difficult road because the church plant wasn't really getting traction with people coming from the outside. We had more relations with people on the, on the outside, but they weren't coming inside. And so we just kind of figured out after a while, this wasn't really working as planned. Things started getting a little bit harder. Um, I could tell you for sure I started getting uh, bitter, depressed, frustrated, angry, and you're probably thinking, like, what, Chris, you're, you've gotten depressed, like, you usually have ADHD, you're always excited and smiling. Um, I still have ADHD, but that's not diagnosed, and yes, I was depressed. I mean, I, I wasn't clinically, I wouldn't go to whatever, but I just knew, looking back, I was depressed. It was hard. Came out there with excitement and passion, what I didn't realize was it would be the hardest year and a half, two years of my life. 28, 29 years old, so I haven't had much life, but enough life to have some good years and bad years, and that was definitely one of the hardest seasons because the stuff wasn't going as planned. It was just nights where I just crying, and just my wife just frustrated with the kids, frustrated with the team, frustrated with Oakland. Why isn't this working? God, we came out here to serve you. Why are you going to allow this happen? Why can't we see some people come to Jesus? Why can't we get more money so we can pay our bills and do this? Like, why are you going to allow this to happen? Why is it this way? I thought our hearts were good. I thought you wanted us to go to Oakland. It wasn't going as planned. Sooner or later, because most of our team couldn't come out here to Oakland, we kind of realized that we were kind of have to breaking up the, to break up the church plant because we couldn't get everyone to Oakland. People couldn't afford the, our core team was still in Martinez most of it. So we couldn't get traction and my best friend, who was a co-pastor, was getting married. He couldn't afford to get out there. So we kind of just decided to, to break up and, and go our separate ways. So people went back to Martinez, to L.A., to Concord, and still friends with all of them, still talk to them and love them, but just kind of wasn't what God was doing in that moment. So that was really hard, ending that way. I definitely sinned against my team. This was my frustration and my, and my anger, just my impatience or whatever. It was, it was there. It was real. It wasn't perfect during it. It was a hard time. And the same time that was happening, we were getting kicked out of our coffee shop that we had, which, mind you, was my full uh, mode of income. wasn't getting paid money from the church. And so that was a full mode of income, and we were getting kicked out because the owner didn't want us sharing Jesus with people. And we decided that Jesus was better uh, than security and money. It was hard, and we were getting cussed at, and contract was threatening to tear up. And it was just a, a bad situation, and we tried to be as faithful and patient as we could, but it was definitely difficult. Found my days just... Super hard to go to work, but still trying to share Jesus. Didn't want to back down. We took the high road, blessed them, left. And uh, so no coffee shop, no church plant. Roommates were moving out, which meant our rent was doubling. And over there, rent for a little small apartment was about 2100 And uh, I wasn't making that much money, especially when your main income goes away. So I was frustrated, just heartbroken. 
God, what are we going to do? We're going to move back to Martinez. We're going to look like failures. God, what are we going to do? We're going to get some other job. I, these people believed in me. They gave money to us. They, they prayed for us. God, we're out here doing this, and it's not working the way we thought it would work. And contrary to the last service, I'm going to share the end story later on to build some tension. I'm still not, de- I'm, I'm not depressed right now. I'm angry. At least I'm, I don't think I am. Um, so but I'll, I'll share what God did later, but I want to leave you in that tension a little bit. It was rough. Wanted to quit. Didn't know how I was going to pay bills each month. Didn't know how money was going to come in. Didn't know what I was going to do. I was angry. Angry at God. Angry at, took it out my kids, my wife, my whatever. I was, I was not where I was supposed to be. And... I would be ignorant to assume that you guys were coming in with everything perfect. I mean, you guys look perfect, and when I ask you how you're doing, you're probably 99% sure going to say good. I can bet my whole life on the fact that you're probably going to say good. You're doing good. But are you really doing good? I've, I've been around the game with Jesus and life with Jesus long enough where I know that just because you're in the church building doesn't mean you're super joyful and healthy. So I'm not ignorant to the fact that some of you guys are coming in and your marriage is on the rocks. I'm not ignorant to the fact that maybe your kids are out of control and you want to ship them to China. Oh, that is my thought I had? I'm sorry. It's frustrating. I'm not ignorant to the fact that maybe a close friend has sinned against you. Someone in the church, someone in your family. You've been sinned against. Like, I don't, I don't, don't want to blow past that. I don't want to just blow smoke and say God's good all the time and he's good. Yes, he is. But we don't always feel that he's good all the time. You don't, you don't always feel excited about this whole Jesus thing. Sometimes you don't want to believe it. You don't feel it. Maybe your job is causing anxiety and stress. I don't want to assume that you're coming in perfect. And if I were to sit down and ask every single one of you how you're really doing, I'm sure one of those things would be the answer. I'm sure probably there's 4,000 other things that are bothering you today. And so this is why the question is so important. What do we need to know about God when life doesn't go our way? Because I'm pretty sure most of you guys would say life isn't always going the way you want it to go. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up. Because if you would ask me, Chris, go ahead, preach a sermon, or maybe give me the top five sermons you ever would preach, this would be one of them. The top five, for sure. This scripture, this passage. Why? Because this is one of the most encouraging things that would keep you grounded and give you joy and give you peace. If you don't know this thing, these things I'm going to talk about about God, you will find it difficult to have, to have and experience daily peace and joy. I mean really experiencing peace and joy. Not like happiness or these things are going good. I mean the, the ground level joy and peace that when life goes crazy, you're still grounded. That kind of peace. You will find it hard to experience real peace and joy if you don't know these things about God. Because right, we're all there. We feel things about God, and then we know things about God. And when life doesn't go our way, usually the things we, we thought we believed about God come out, and they change. Like when life's going good, we say God is good. He's faithful. He's kind. He will never forsake me. But when life doesn't go the way we want it, we go, God, why did you forsake me? God, you're not kind, right? So our theology, the real theology of your heart comes out when circumstances don't go the way you want them to go. If you want to know what you really believe, don't look at what you believe when life's going good and your bank account's great. Everyone believes God's good when you have a lot of money. 
But do you believe God's good when you don't know where the money's going to come in? Do you believe God is good when you've been sinned against and he loves you? Like, do you think God has changed because your circumstances has changed? The verse and the promise that has been my ground, Romans 8, 28, says this. You probably know it. You might have it on a coffee cup if you're a real good Christian. And we know, <laughs> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It's great, right? When life's going good, I believe that. God's working all these things out for my good, but when life doesn't go the way we want it, do we really believe that? Let me tell you, I did not believe that when things were falling apart. Not always. I didn't feel it, at least. But that's why I want to present you with these things as you need to know these because when you don't feel them, you still need to know them because they're still true. And God doesn't change when your circumstance changes. So three things to know, and they're kind of from the verse, so it's not like me giving these random thoughts, trying to be cute and simple. They're from the Bible. And this is what I want you to, to be encouraged by is you can get these same points when you read the Bible. Like, that's why reading the Bible, if you're not doing it daily or weekly, you should be in the Bible if you're a Christian because you're going to see Jesus more clearly than ever. You're going to be grounded, and you can pick apart verses and see what the Bible is saying that will give you hope when you need it. So these three things are from that verse. So we're going to go through what does it mean when it says God's working in all things and our good. You guys ready? You live? You ready? Okay, just want to make sure because uh, this is something that I just want you to zone in, distraction-free zone in means a lot to me. I think it will mean a lot to you. So the, the, the usual verse in your Bible might go something like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. When I was originally studying this verse, and especially in this last two and a half years, just the hardships I've gone through, and me and my wife just on a team, and, and I wasn't the only one experiencing hardships. My team did too. It was, it was rough being out there. One of the things that kind of grounded me and I had to go back to and I want you to know is that God is the subject of this verb. So different versions say this, and we know that God works in all things. See the difference? One says all things work together for good. If you just leave it at that and you take that for, for, for face value, you can say things like I hear in Oakland all the time, well, the universe is just blessing me. Maybe you said that. Oh, the universe is just on my side today. Maybe for you it's not universe, but it's karma. Or chance. Wow, I just have good karma right now. This chance is on my side. I'm lucky. I'm, the, the chips are falling in my way, the dice or whatever. And, and so you throw that out. But what I want you to know is that God is the subject of the verb. He's the one working in. He's active. And this is why it matters. This is why it matters so much to me and why I want it to matter so much to you. Because whatever you give control to is where you're going to find your hope from. Whatever you give control to is where you get your hope from. So if chance or the universe or karma is something that you give control to to direct your life or the reason you say, this is the, I, I, I attribute my circumstances to chance or karma or the universe, then that's where your hope's going to go. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that the universe is kind or good or just or faithful. Like, I, don't, I don't know that, that chance and karma are 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 good and kind and patient and just. They're unknowable, but you're putting your hope in something that's unknowable. God is knowable. 
God tells us he's just and he's faithful and will never forsake us and he's kind and he's patient and he's over everything. So where you give control to is where you're going to get your hope from. And if your control is you're giving it to something that has no definition, no character, is not trustworthy, then you're throwing your hope up in the air and just hoping that you have something to stick on when life gets hard and it's going to crumble as fast as you threw it up. And because of that, we have this misconception that if I can't trace God's hand, he must not be working. Right? How many of you guys have said that where I don't see God working right now in my circumstances, so because of that, he must not be working. I said that. I said that. I don't see you working in this circumstance because I have no money, because my kids are going crazy, and we're living with two kids in our room while having two other roommates trying to do three different jobs at the same time. Rough. God, how are you working in this? Being sinned against and sinning against and relational drama and then outside hostility. God, how are you working in this? If we can't trace you, God, you must not be working in this. But let me encourage you that the people in the Bible couldn't trace God's hand all the time. But it didn't mean he wasn't working. And that's good news. I hope it's good news for you that even when you can't go, this is exactly what God is doing. He's still, you still know he's doing something. You guys might know these characters in the Bible, Joseph, Genesis, brothers, got angry because he had a dream, threw him into a pit, got him into slavery. I don't think Joseph was in the pit going, well, God's just working. He's going to do all things for my good. This is going to turn out great. I can't wait to see the end result. God's so good. I just don't think if you have that kind of theology of the Bible, you're reading a children's Bible that's really not real. Joseph wasn't going, I just love God right now, and he's on my side. I don't think that was his attitude the whole time because he couldn't see what God was doing. But we know that God used Joseph to really save Israel and Egypt. Later on, became a second king, but he was in a pit in slavery. Couldn't trace God's hand, but doesn't mean God wasn't working. Naomi, if you read the book of Ruth, her husband dies. Her two sons die. She's in a famine. I mean, talk about problems. Hello. Hard time. She probably wasn't raging and, oh, wow, God is so good. Look how he's blessed me. I know that the death of my husband and sons are going to work out for my good. No, she wasn't saying that. You're crazy if you think she was. Don't be so hard on yourself. Like when you're going through hard times and you go, oh, well, I, just, I don't know if God's good. Like that's natural. You're not perfect. You're probably going to believe that God isn't real sometimes when hard things happen. The problem isn't questioning God in that moment, it's how fast can you snap back to the promise that he is good. How fast can you snap back to the reality that he is faithful. Paul in jail wasn't singing so much every time he was in jail and every time he got stoned that, wow, God was just using these rocks hitting me in the head as a good thing that's going to happen and I'm going to be blessed because of it. This wasn't his outlook all the time. And Mary and Lazarus, you know, if you know the story of Mary and Martha, Lazarus dies, her brother. Jesus lets him die. Jesus could have saved him. What Mary didn't know was that Jesus was going to come two days later, raise Lazarus from the dead, and get more glory than he ever could because of it. But Mary, Paul, Naomi, Joseph did not know. They did not see God's hand. They couldn't go, well, this is exactly what God is doing, and I can see these things working together. So, of course, this is the outcome. Some of you guys are in places like I have been in a and I know where you just can't put your finger on what God is doing, don't fall for the lie that because you can't see what God is doing, God isn't working. Don't fall for that lie. 
One of my favorite pastors, preachers, John Piper, he says this, that when God is doing one thing, he's doing 10,000 things behind the scenes. You might see him doing one thing. You might, if you get a glimpse, to see him doing one thing. He's really doing a thousand things behind the scenes, and you might only get the, the, the glimpse of maybe three or four a year or two later, or ten years later. Maybe in that moment, hopefully you get a little bit of a glimpse, but you're not going to always get that. And you've got to know, you've got to know that he's still working when you can't see him. First thing to know, God is active and working even when you can't see it happening. I hope that encourages you. Because you are probably in places where you don't think God is working right now. And you can either give up on him or stay true and faithful and say, God, I believe it even though it's rough. Because I know, I know you have something better for me. This promise kept me sane. Because I knew that what my eyes couldn't see, my heart could still believe that God was good. Number two, all things. So not only is God working in Working in as the active agent, it wasn't chance, it wasn't karma, because what I left you off in my story, it looked like it ended pretty bad. No money, no coffee shop, no church plants, friends moved out all by ourselves in Oakland, not knowing really more than a handful of people and some co-workers. And what it's tempting to say and do as, as Christians is, especially in America, God's only in control of the good things in our life. Like God, like over here, when, when you have a lot of money, we're like, of course that's God's blessing. But when you don't have money, you're like, well, that's, that's just Satan. Like God can't, be, God can't be using that. God can't be causing that. God can't be in that. That's the devil. When, when, when the kids are acting great, God's blessed me. When the kids are acting like not so great, different choice of words, um, you're probably thinking, well, they're the devil. Or maybe, you know, I mean, I'm just calling it as it is. Don't act like you never said that. <laughs> I've heard some of you guys. But you're like, God can't be in this circumstance. Satan has this territory. God has this territory. Let me tell you, if you believe that, you have a small view of God. Because you're saying that God's only, only control of, of half the things. If you look at the news, there's a lot of bad things happening. So you're going to tell me that God's only in control of the good things and not the bad things? Because if I believed that my whole life, I'd be hopeless. Because I keep seeing bad things happening. So I would just think, well, that's Satan, but God has no control over that. Um, and I love this because we think, you know, good, sweet, prosperous, planned, all the good stuff, God's in control. But do we really believe God's in control of the bad things or the bitter circumstances or the painful ones or the unexpected like, I'm not saying God causes all these horrible things to happen. Like, God caused your divorce, miscarriage. God caused this cancer. I'm not saying God does that. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm saying I don't know. I don't know what God does and what he can't. But I do know that he can work in these circumstances. Don't put him in a box. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. You're just saying, God, you're only going to touch the good things. Because what the gospel teaches me and what I see from Jesus is God ain't scared of germs. Come on, somebody. God is not scared of germs. Like, we think God's only going to touch the, and, and, and I might step on your toes, but Jesus loves you. Um, see, we, we say these. I, I hear these. If it's not Republican or religious or right or clean or holy or good or constitutional, fair, loving, sacred, Christian, just, God must not be in it. And we, like, limit God to this, like, political side, like, well, he's only working in the Republicans. The Democrats, they're pretty far off. 
he's only working when things uh, abide to the Constitution, but when they don't, God's not working in that. He's only working in the nice, clean circumstances of life when it's bright and wonderful and there's unicorns and butterflies and money, but not when you don't have money, not when there's rough times, not when you're on your knees crying because you feel so much pain and depression. God can't be in that. What I love about the Bible, you see in Genesis and and Joseph's horrible story, he says this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, what Satan meant for evil, God caused for good. What Satan meant to harm you, God is using to heal you, to help you. Does your theology, does your theology expand to fit in that? Or do you just limit God to the good stuff? Because if I did, and throughout this year, I did at times where things happening that weren't expected and weren't good, I could have easily said, well, God, you're just not in this, and lose all my hope. I was in tears, wanting to quit. I didn't want to do this anymore. But it kept me going when I knew God has dominion not over the clean and good stuff, just that with the bad and hard and dark things. Because Jesus, we see, comes down, and who does he spend all his time with in the Gospels? Sinners, prostitutes, people the world thought were ugly and hated them, and they were horrible people. So that tells me that this God isn't scared of a little dirt. He's not scared of a little darkness. Let me do one up. God loves the darkness because that's where his glory shines the most. That's where his love shines the most. That's where his light shines the most. So not only is it not like, okay, I'm never going to touch those dark circumstances. I can't, I can't even use them because they're evil. No, he gets knee deep in the dirt and says, I'm going to use this to show you I'm faithful, I'm good, and I'll get the glory because I'll make this happen the way it's supposed to happen. And I will turn what Satan, because Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy, and Jesus brings abundant life. And we have to have a theology that's big enough to go, while one thing is looking like it's going to harm me, I have to trust that he's working, and he's working in this area to bring about good. Because you will have little hope if you think God's only squeezed through the margins of good things, and not all things. Let me tell you, I studied Greek, original language in the Bible, and you want to know what the word all means? It means all. Four years of college, $80,000, and I got that for you. It means all. Paul wasn't lying. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all things really means all things, that God is not squeezed into a box of just good and clean things? Number two, not only is God working even when we don't see him working, but in, 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 in the situations where we would never think he has control over easy for me to squeeze God out over these last two and a half years in my thinking of him being active because I love Jesus. I read the Bible most, most days and weeks. I worship, I pray, I did those things. I, was, I saw some growth happening, but it was dark times because I didn't always give God the control he actually had over the situation I was going through. You need to figure out, is God big enough that he's going to be in control of every situation, or am I just going to squeeze him to the margins of these nice, religious, cute things that happen in life? Because there's no way he can touch the hard things. God is big enough where he can. But he's not just working when we don't see him. He's not just working in, in, in areas we think he would never work in. He's trying to do all of this to bring about a desired result. There's something God is trying to produce when he's working. He doesn't just work to work. He works in all things to produce something very intentional. 
You see, if you think your pain has no purpose, you're going to be hopeless. But if you know that because God is good, my pain has purpose because God can redirect it. You think that Jesus didn't go through pain? You think he wasn't mocked at and betrayed and then murdered? You think that was an easy life? Like God himself, get this, he subjected himself to a human form in order to go through that kind of tragedy. He knows what you're going through. Don't think he doesn't know your pain. Hebrews says we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us. Why? Because he's been through all the trials. He's been tempted through everything. He knows what it is to be betrayed and to be sinned against. He knows that. That's why we look to him. And he's producing something. There's a purpose for that pain. What is that purpose? Well, I got caught up in this um, as being really hard to believe because my definition of good wasn't God's definition of good always. And you're going to have to stop and think maybe today, right now, just what is your definition of good? Because I know if your definition of good, if you have a list of five things you write down as good, and you say, this is my good, better circumstances, more money, my kids not acting crazy, uh, my wife doing this, my, my job doing this, or raising my job, uh, that all my prayers answered, all my dreams coming true, and then God's definition of good is different than your list, you're going to bump up against some rough disappointment. Right? Does that make sense? If you had this ideal of this is what good is, but then God's like, no, 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 son, no, no, daughter, this is what's good. And, and when God does good to you, but you think it's something else, you're going to not only miss what God has for you, you're going to be disappointed when you get it. You're going to doubt. And if you're married, if you have a relationship with anybody in this world, you know unmet expectations are real. You both expect something, but then one person doesn't do what they're expected to do or you're expecting them to do, and then you have unmet expectations which lead to disappointment. And don't just say you had that with your wife or your husband. You have it with God. I have it with God. God, I expect you to do A, B, and C, and D for me. That's what the American gospel tells me. You're going to provide for me, and you're going to give me all the money I need to not have to struggle. You're going to give me the marriage that's easy and wonderful, and my wife's going to serve me nonstop and bring me grapes while I'm working in bed. Like, it's just going to happen, and, and then I'm going to mow the lawn and have the white picket fence. Like, that's what our TV shows show us. And every single day, the world is trying to sell you a fake gospel. They're trying to say, this is good, this is good, this is good. Let me tell you, God has a different version of good. Unfortunately, it's not worldly comfort. Some of you guys don't like that. I don't like that. Our good is not dreams fulfilled. It is not prayers answered, and it's certainly not always better circumstances. If you know the apostles' life, it didn't get better for them. It actually got worse sometimes. But it's interesting, if you track with me, if you track the apostles' life like Paul, it got worse and worse and worse until he died, but his joy, you can see, increased, increased, increased. How is it that circumstances can get worse, but joy can increase because God is doing something and his good is different than our good? So it must not be that circumstances are the thing that he's going to improve in your life always. And let me just, let me just tell you this. It's, it's not fun to say, but God does not work in to deliver to you your definition of happiness. Like God, we say this often, God's not your magical genie. Like you can't just rub it, pray. The, like we literally think, we open the Bible, if I read enough and pray enough and go to church enough, God's going to bless my dreams. And my, God did not just create you so he could do everything you wanted to do in life. Doesn't that work with our kids? Have our kids. And what, so when we just serve them in every way, if they want ice cream, we give them ice cream. If they want to stay up all night, we'll have them stay up all night. You try that for a week. 
You try to do with your kids what you expect God to do for you. It will not work out. You have a different version of good that they, they think good is staying up all night, watching movies, and eating ice cream. You said, that's health. Because those kids are going to be crazy. You know that's not good. But wait, their definition of good is different than your definition of good. Yes, because you have a different definition of good and you want to give them that. God has the same thing. He's not just trying to make you happy as in giving you everything you want. He's trying to make you holy. And in being holy, in knowing and seeing Jesus more, you're going to be the most joyous you will ever experience. Let me just tell you, I'm not saying this because I want you to feel bad for me. Really, I'm not because... I'm actually doing great, and I'll get to that in a second. But just a, a news flash: I'm still on food stamps. Some of you guys don't even know what that is. I didn't even know what that was two and a half years ago. I thought those were for people in the ghetto, just couldn't, you know, whatever, like just, just poor people. Well, I'm one of those. Hallelujah. So on food stamps, still on Medi-Cal. I'm still volunteering as a pastor, so I don't get paid one cent for doing what I do. I love doing it. Groups pastor, but... I'm still not taking money from Slow Joy, my coffee company, because we're growing it to start a, a shop. And I'm still living month to month. I really don't know where my income's going to come from. Doing graphic design now. I've done jobs, Lyft and Uber and markets and this and that, just to try to make ends meet. And I really do not want your tears or your, oh, poor you. I don't need that. What I'm telling you is my circumstances didn't get better. Some of them did, for sure. God can make your circumstances get better. He can, and he has, and he will. And that's a blessing. Let me tell you guys, that is not the greatest good. Having those things, you know, being off food stamps, being off Medi-Cal, getting paid as a pastor, having my company skyrocket. That, I don't wish that upon you to have all your dreams answered or mine. Because there's something greater that God has in store for you. That's more lasting. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have a bank account. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have a house to show off. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have all these accolades and awards and going, look how good I was, look how many things I've done. You're going to have Jesus. This is what the greatest good that I've learned in these last two and a half years. Decreasing self-reliance, which leads to increasing dependence on God. I expected to be kind of quiet when I said that. Because why would that be our greatest good, really? So decreasing self-reliance, God. You, Chris, you're, you're telling me that God, the greatest good he can do is, is basically strip down your self-reliance so he can make you depend on him? Yes, emphatically yes. It's okay if you don't see that as good now. You just need to know that that is God's intention. All throughout the Bible, he's getting people who think they're strong in their own power. He puts them in situations where they're not as strong as they thought they would or could be, and so they have to either do one thing. Two things really they could do. They could walk out on God, try to do it themselves, or they can depend on God to be their strength. What I've experienced over the last two and a half years is a stripping away of self-reliance. And it was painful. It was hard. I couldn't rely on my preaching or my ability to start a business or my ability to lead people. I did when I went out, and I don't want to rely on that anymore. And I want you to rely on your self-reliance for whatever gifts you have, whatever strengths you have. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. It's not going to give you the rest or the joy that you need. There's something greater. There's something greater. Depending on God is what has given me the most rest I have ever experienced in my life. Let me just finish the story so you don't go out depressed. Um, <laughs> church plant was ending. Coffee shop was closing. Rent was doubling. Hashtag problem. So not good. And this is what happened. 
a couple months later, so our roommates move out. God, how are we going to get this money to pay our 2,000-something rent? We have no job. And about two months later, we find out that uh, we have an opportunity to open up a coffee shop in downtown Oakland on the, one of the busiest streets. And, um, and it just kind of got handed to us. And so right now, I just turned my permits in or my plans to the um, county last week. And they're building some stuff out. And we're going to be opening in a few months right down in downtown Oakland. At the same time, we were kind of disbanding our church plant, and we went to a different church. They were serving our coffee as a wholesale account, went to them just to kind of learn to ask questions. And what God did through that meeting, Pastor Ed blessed us with some money, didn't know who we, were, didn't know who we were, gave us the opportunity to come in and get rest, to be healed because we were kind of pretty broken. Come in, we're going to invest in you. And little did I know that a year later I would be, I've already preached about 10 times, I lead groups, I'm discipling some guys, and I'm going to be planting a church with 40 people in three years in a different school in Oakland. Circumstances didn't always change. God definitely blessed me and blessed my wife. And we, I can say today, standing here honestly, I'm in one of the healthiest seasons I've ever been. I have more joy in Jesus than I've ever had. Uh, I am experiencing more rest than I ever have. I'm not anxious. I had anxiety. I'm not depressed. I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm gentle in spirit and calm only because I know something about God now. That when he's not working, he's still working. And when I don't think he has control, he still has control. And it's reducing our good. So I want to leave you with this thought. That God might steer you into a place where you feel your weakness so you can wake up to your need for his strength. Some of you guys, I just, I just need you to know that. That your greatest good that God has in store for you is bringing you to your, the end of your rope so you can go, God, I need to be on your plan. I need to be on your agenda. I need to trust you because it's not working the way I'm doing it. And some of you guys have all the white picket fence and prayers answered and dreams and circumstances, but you're finding out, and if you don't find out now, you will soon. That will not fulfill you or give you the joy or rest you need. You will still go after that and more and more and more because it's not enough. Let me tell you, I have no money. I don't know where money is coming from. I don't know where the next job is. I don't know what's going to happen. The church plant three years from now, that can blow up again. But you know what? If my coffee company dies tomorrow, I'm good. The church plant never starts. I'm good. We have to leave out of Oakland because we can't afford it. I'm good. Why? Because it's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. It's not about my plans. It's about Jesus' plans. It's not about my good because the good that I have isn't really good for me. It's about the good that God has for me. And he's faithful. One of Pastor Terry's favorite verses. The work that he began, he will, what? He will be faithful to complete that work. He is so jealous for your love and so earnest and passionate about your holiness and your joy and happiness in him that he will do whatever it takes to bring you to the point where you have maximum joy in him. Sometimes it will cost you some pain. But you will have joy. And let me tell you, it is the best feeling because you will have the rest that your soul craves. You guys can stand with me. This is what I want you to know. Three things. God is always working in every situation to bring you to himself. I need you to remember that this week. I need you to believe in that. If you don't, seek Jesus. Go home and pray. Write it on your mirror. Get a post-it note because this is where hope is found, y'all. It's not the American dream. 
It's not your bank accounts. It's not what people think of you. It's not the applause or the lack of applause that makes your value or worth skyrocket or drop. God loves you. He has a plan for you. That's not some fairy tale or myth. That's true, and he has your good in mind, and he will do whatever it takes to bring you that good because he loves you. He wants to satisfy you. Do you believe that this morning? You guys, God loves you. Let's pray. Let's close. Let's be encouraged in Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus, we know that you have good for us. And it's hard, it's hard, it's hard because our definition of good clouds our mind most of the time. But God, I know this is not the message we like to hear, but sometimes we have to go through pain and loss in order to realize that what we need isn't ourselves or more money or, or more friends or more likes or retweets or followers. What we need is your love. What we need is your satisfaction. What we need is your peace. What we need is your spirit. What we need is your son and the gospel of Jesus. Would that be real? Will we be Christians that don't just go around wanting circumstances to get better, but when they get worse, we have the peace? Because that is what will change the world, is seeing people who have peace in circumstances that shouldn't cause peace. God, would you do that? Make us Christians who have joy in the circumstances that when the world is in that circumstance, they don't have joy. Because our joy is not tied to our circumstances. Our joy is tied to the love of Jesus. Would you do that in our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen. You guys are loved. God loves you. Have a blessed day.